Sheila Zielinski Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, Sheila Zielinski. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Sheila Zielinski Show for this June 8, 2016 edition. I broadcast weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time right here on WINB. And for other ways to listen, you can go to weekendvigilante.com. Click on the listen tab. You can download the Weekend Vigilante app. It's a great app that's customized for you, the listeners, getting some great feedback on it. And if you have already got the app, please make sure that you do update it to the latest version. And as well, there's the podcast, iTunes as well. So there is a variety of ways to listen and make sure that you do sign up for my social media, which is up there on the top right, especially YouTube, because some of the YouTubes populate even before the podcast. So do add me on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, those social media icons are at the top right on the pink bar at weekendvigilante.com. Hey, if you have not got a copy of my book, Green Gospel, do get a copy of it, go to greengospel.ca and get your hands on this book. As the renowned Dr. Timothy Ball says, Sheila Zielinski's book, Green Gospel, effectively demolishes what you think you know. So do get a copy of that. And I think you're going to be amazed by what I cover in this book, Green Gospel, the New World Religion. We can sure see that playing out, can't we? I'm entitling today's program, Trusting God in Tumultuous Times. I had a lady email me yesterday and she says, Sheila, I feel like I have no hope and no faith. The world is just sick, and I cannot stand it anymore. It's bleak, there's no hope, and quite frankly, there's no way to fix these problems. There's far too many of them. Life isn't fair, and it just seems like there really is no hope. You know, it's amazing how people are out there flipping coins and going by popular opinion, majority consensus, This is not, for us believers, a heads you win, tails you lose. This isn't a coin toss, guys. God has a plan for you, and you have to have faith in that regardless what it looks like. So how do you trust God when you don't understand? The truth is that God loves you, and he has a good plan for your life. And that doesn't mean life is always easy. We all go through really difficult things, and things happen that aren't fair, In fact, Jesus tells us in John 16, 33, in the world, you will have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration. That email that I just read to you, that's an exemplary example of frustration. Frustration. It's important for us to understand this so we don't be confused 
and lose our faith in him when life is hard. Thankfully, Jesus goes on to say, but be of good cheer. If you look in the Amplified, it says, take courage, be confident. Check out this word, undaunted, for I have overcome the world. In other words, I've deprived it of power to harm you and have conquered it for you. This is amazing assurance that if we are in Christ Jesus, everything is going to work out the way it should in the end. I know for me personally what it's like to be so hurt, just so hurt so much that you're not sure you can stand it any longer. And there have been times when I didn't understand how God could allow me to go through some of the things I've been through. I like to figure out how to fix problems. So it was difficult for me when I couldn't understand why God allowed me to go through certain circumstances. But I can say now that God did a lot of good things in me through those very hard times, and he can use me to help others because of it. One thing that I had to get a revelation about to get my healing and restoration from the devastating things I endured was how to trust God when I didn't understand how to release my faith during trials. Have you ever been in the middle of a faith stand when suddenly it just seemed like your faith just quit working? Maybe you were believing God for healing or finances or deliverance or the salvation of your family. Spiritually, everything was in place. You found the scriptures. You were focused on that promise. Maybe you were even firing off confessions of faith like a machine gun. But as time went by, your spiritual battery began to weaken. The power you had when you first took your stand began to wane and you developed a gnawing suspicion that nothing would happen And in desperation, you tried to shove those doubts away by confessing louder and longer. You frantically tried to force your faith to work, but to no avail. Maybe you wound up sick, still broke, still surrounded by unsaved relatives, wondering what went wrong. But I believed that my marriage situation would work. I really thought my son would come to know the Lord. I really thought it was going to happen. And in the end, you probably just chalked it up to a faith failure. Well, the fact is that faith doesn't function without hope. That's because faith is a substance of things hoped for, it tells us in Hebrews 11.1. Sometimes I say it this way, hope is the blueprint of faith. When hope is lost, faith loses its aim. One month I was really short. I had rent coming due. I didn't have the money. I kept replaying in my mind over and over and over. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do here? I was praying, but praying in desperation. I was telling myself, no, okay, it's fine, it's good. But part of me wasn't so convinced. Part of me was very suspect. Oh no, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You're going to lose your place. You're going to be out in the street. You're going to have nowhere to go. Why didn't you plan better in life? And then comes all the other flood of thoughts. And finally, I just stood up and I said, devil, you're a liar. You shut up in the name of Jesus. And then I went in the Word and I reread, take no care for tomorrow what you will eat. I started really getting in the Word, really getting that Word on the inside of me. And then I wasn't worried. I read Philippians 4.19, my God shall provide all my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. The Word says that Jehovah Jireh is your provider, not your J-O-B, not your husband, not your boss, not your employment. It's God that really is your provider. And when I did that, when I got the word inside me, instantly my hope came alive again. Suddenly I was expectant instead of desperate. I started eagerly anticipating what God was about to do instead of fearing what would happen 
if he didn't come through in this situation. And sure enough, the rent money came and everything was fine. But the hours that I spent with it plaguing me, what was going to happen? And there wasn't the first time that happened. There was many months that I would get into this total desperation. And that happened a lot. But before you can understand how important hope is, you have to realize that real Bible hope, it's not wishing. That's worldly hope. People in the world say, I sure wish I could get a job. I wish I could get a raise at work. I wish fill in the blank there. What they say when they mean that is, I want a raise. I want a job, but I don't think I'll get it. But it sure would be nice if I did. That's not hope and that's not faith. The kind of hope the word of God talks about is much stronger than that because it's not based on wishing or wanting. It's based on your covenant with God and the anointing God has provided to carry out that covenant in your life. In fact, when you look at Ephesians 2.12, it says, Before you knew Jesus, you were. Without Jesus Christ, we'd be aliens from the commonwealth, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. When you have hope, you have a supernatural expectancy that what God says will come to pass in your life. The Apostle Paul talked about that kind of supernatural expectancy in Philippians 1.19-20 where he's saying, I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and my hope. In that scripture, Paul uses two different words from the Greek language, each of which can be translated hope. One of them means the happy anticipation of good. The other can be defined as eager longing, strained expectancy, watching with an outstretched hand, an abstraction from anything else that might engage the attention. You know, there's been times in my life when I was so focused on something God called me to do, and I was so tuned into what the Word said about it, I couldn't think about anything else. And when your hope is strong, it doesn't matter what kind of unbelief the devil tries to throw your way. It just bounces off you. Water off a duck's back. You're so one-track-minded, you can't be drawn off course. But how often does that happen? The Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for. How do you develop that kind of hope? You stay in the Word of God until your neck stretches out. That's what happened in Acts 3 to the crippled man at the gate, beautiful. He'd been sitting by that gate begging, his head down, his eyes to the ground. But when Peter and John walked by and said, Look on us, the man lifted his head and began to expect Hope rose up in him because he was expecting to receive something of it says there in verse 5. Of course, he received a lot more than he was expecting. He expected alms, but he got legs. And I think it's because his expectancy got hooked into their expectancy. And believe me, their expectancy was running high. It hadn't been more than a few days since Jesus rose from the dead. He defeated the devil and hell. It hadn't been but a few days since Jesus had looked the disciples straight in the eye and said, now you go into all the world and use my name to cast out devils. You lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Look at Mark 16, 15 says there. You can just imagine Peter saying, hey, John, you know that crippled beggar down there by the temple? Come on, let's go use the name of Jesus on him. They could see themselves doing what Jesus said they could do. Their hope was white hot. So went charging down to the temple and said to that cripple, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And when they said it, they grabbed him. They'd expected him to walk. 
If they're grabbing him and yanking him up, what made them do such a thing? Expectancy. They didn't tiptoe up to the gate and look around and lurk around and make sure no one was watching them and whisper, Dear Lord, if it be thy will, heal this poor. The only people who pray if it be thy will, by the way, are those who don't have any hope or expectancy. It is God's will to heal you. Well, I don't know if it's God's will. Oh, it's God's will that you will be healed. What did the leper say to Jesus? I know you can heal me if you will. And what did Jesus say? I will. Well, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he did back then, he'll do now for you. And if you've been praying that way, stop it. You go to the word and you find out what God's will is, but don't say, if it be thy will, you will heal me, because the word of God is his will. And what did he say? I will. It is his will for you to be well. It is his will for you to be prosperous as your soul prospers. It is his will for you to lay hands on the sick, and it is his will for them to recover. Well, that takes getting in the word, meditating on the word until your hope gets built up. To say in the word until you're so confident and you're so expectant, strong and clear, and they will recover. That means you can walk up to someone on the street that looks crippled or on a cane or having some other issue, and you can say, hey, is there anything wrong with you? I'll pray for you right now. I'll lay hands on you right now, and you will get healed. Once your hope's that strong, it becomes courage and hope plus courage. Well, that's the spirit of faith in action right there. The Apostle Paul refers to the spirit of faith in 2 Corinthians 4.13, saying, We have the same spirit of faith according as it is written. I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. The spirit of faith speaks. It calls things that be not as though they were. It makes faith confessions, not out of desperation, but out of eager anticipation and confident expectation. The spirit of faith says, God will turn the world upside down if he has to for me, but he is going to change the situation for me. When you have that kind of hope, the devil can't beat you down. He can't tear you down. He can't stop your faith from working. When the devil knocks you down, you just get up with a deeper resolve to hit him harder the next time and harder the next time and harder the next time. You get to the point where you expect God to move with such vigor That all these distractions in the world, they don't even turn your head. And all your so-called failures of the past, they drift into nothingness. You're not going that way. You're not looking back at the plowshare. You're going ahead. You can't even remember them because you're so absorbed with the expectation of what is God about to do. Everything that happens to us supernaturally happens by faith. Somewhere, somehow, someone has to release faith for the supernatural to happen in your life. So you have to develop your faith. You have to learn how to operate in your own faith by the principles of faith. We read there in Romans 5, 1 through 2, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Verse 2 tells that we have access by faith. It's our faith that allows us to access God's grace. That sounds reassuring, but what exactly does that mean? Look at verse 2. I'm using the Amplified. Through him also we have our access, entrance, introduction, by faith into this grace, state of God's favor in which we firmly and safely stand. 
That's a mouthful. But basically what Paul is saying there is he's telling us that faith gives us access to God's favor. Our faith gives God an opening through which he can pour all his favor into our lives. The moment you and I received Jesus as our Lord, we gave God an opening into our lives. Our faith gave him entrance to come in and save us. And by faith, we gained access to the favor of God to be born again. But that was just the beginning. Faith requires that we continually receive the word of God to lay hold of the promises and the goodness of God. Faith is kept alive and working by taking God's word into your heart, believing God's word. God's word is, he's not just throwing together a package of cutesy little stories. This is God himself in black and white. John 1.1, the very first verse in the opening chapter of the Gospel of John, what does it say? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The word became flesh. Jesus Christ is the word. You and I were created by God with the ability to choose. He gave us a will. So when it comes to our relating to and interacting with God, we make choices to believe what he says or to disregard what he says. But you can't pick and choose scripture. Well, I believe that, but I don't really know if I believe that. I love what Pastor David Langford said on one of my shows years ago. He said, This isn't a Burger King religion. You can't just pick and choose and cherry pick scriptures. You either believe the word of God or you don't. We make a choice to believe what God's word says. And many times the right choice, it requires faith to believe what he says rather than how it looks to your natural eye. In the flesh, things look insane. In the natural, things look crazy. In Deuteronomy 28, as God's preparing to cut covenant with his people, he told Moses to tell them, and it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do all the commandments. On the other side, God warned Moses that if the people of Israel chose not to hearken to his voice and obey his commandments, then they'd suffer the consequences. And of course, the rest of Deuteronomy there in 28 contains more than 50 verses detailing the curses that would overtake them. God laid everything out for the Israelites, all the terms, all the details, all of his covenant. Then he told them in Deuteronomy 30, 19 to 20, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to give them. God operates by promise, by covenant. He gives his word. And if God gives his word, well, you can take that to the bank. If he's telling you something, then don't say the opposite disbelief is not faith. Fear is not faith. You have to believe and obey no matter what, no matter what's going on. He brings the promises to pass in your life. And the bottom line was whether or not the children of Israel trusted God enough to agree to his terms of the covenant. If they did, they'd have to walk in his ways. They had to choose by faith. They had a choice to make there. And Noah's a good example. Early in the book of Genesis, we read there how when God first approached Noah about building the ark, no one had ever heard of the concept of rain. No one knew drops of water would fall from the sky because it had never rained before. 
up to that point, you could say they had kind of a supernatural underground sprinkler system of sorts. Do that had been used to water the earth. Yet here God was talking to Noah about rain, floods, and building a big boat. Well, Noah had a choice to make. I guess his choice was, do I believe God and build this monstrosity called an ark? Or don't I? It was probably a pretty far out plan to Noah's natural understanding, but God knew exactly what he was doing. Noah chose to believe God. And once he made his decision, it took a long time to build that ark. After all, he had his family to help him. That was it. Everyone else thought he was a complete crazy nut bar. Ooh, there's crazy old Noah building a floating house with no water to put it in. Can you imagine? And someone recently said on my show, Noah was the town kook until the rain came. And, you know, during the construction phase of the ark, Noah had a lot of opportunity to change his mind and back out of that foolish looking project of his. But nonetheless, he continued on in faith when God said, everything that is on the land shall die, but I will establish my covenant. What is he saying there? I'm going to establish my promise with you. And Noah believed him. Well, we find out that not only did Noah obey God by building the ark, he came through with that, but he also obeyed by preaching to the unrighteous people while he and his family were hammering and sawing away. He preached what God told him to preach. The Bible says Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So here's the point in this. Not unlike Noah and all the other heroes of faith in the Old Testament, if you and I are going to live supernaturally, if we're going to have the supernatural blessings of God overtake us instead of curses, then we have to give God an opening. And you know what's our opening? Our faith. Our faith is like opening a window to God. Remember, God is not some ruthless dictator. He doesn't force his way into your life. Not like the devil does. He doesn't try to deceive us or manipulate us. When God laid out his promises, he made them plain and simple. And then he gave you a choice. What's your choice going to be? You don't have to believe what God says. You don't have to. But if you want to live healed and prosperous and blessed and anointed and filled up, then you have to believe what the Bible says. And you have to believe what God says. That's faith. Psalm 35, 27 says, God takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. And I'm not just talking about money there. You can pick and choose here. If you want, you can live in the natural realm and refuse supernatural things of God. God's not going to force that on you. But if you choose to take God at his word, you can walk in the fullness of what he has for your life. All you have to do is give him an opening. All you have to do is believe what he says. Yeah, that sounds pretty simple, Sheila. It's that simple, folks. Instead of believing what you see out there, look at the craziness, what you hear out there. Did you hear that? Or what you feel? No matter what you see, hear, or feel, take God at his word. And like God, you know what? Faith is no respecter of persons. Anyone can have faith. In fact, Romans 12, 3 tells us that God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. He's speaking there to born again people. Any believer can develop faith. Faith is always going to come when God's word is heard and received. And how does faith come? Faith comes by hearing. There are over 6,000 promises from God recorded in the Bible, and each one was very carefully selected and written down for us. 
And if you and I were to take each of those promises and read them and speak them aloud and keep them in our heart and our mouth and our ears and our eyes, well, I think eventually faith would rise up within us. Why? Because faith comes by hearing the word of God. Faith comes by hearing the promises of God. And faith is believing what we hear. It's believing what we read there in the word and what we say. If we believe what we hear, we say and read and we let it get deep in our hearts. Soon faith will rise up within us and see to it that everything we hear, say, and read comes to pass. The faith that rises within us gives God an opening to bring those promises to pass. And the points further reinforced by Paul's account of what Isaiah had to say about the unbelieving children of Israel. What does it say there in Romans 10, 16? Lord, who hath believed our report? The Israelites of old, they really did not believe God's promises. They didn't take his covenant to heart. How do we know they didn't? Well, we just read in verse 16 there, they didn't obey the gospel because they did not take God's word to heart. Faith didn't rise within them. Remember those 6,000 promises recorded in the Bible? Well, they've already been established as a reality for us. Read that there in 2 Corinthians 1.20. All the promises of God in Jesus are yea and amen. So if you need a healing, it's done. If you need food, it's done. If you need protection, it's done. Whether you need a house, a job, you and I don't have to try to talk God into any of these things. God's already ratifies his promises through the blood of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of his own son. So what's your responsibility then? Well, as I said to you earlier, we have to give God a window. We must give him an opening into our lives. And how do we do that? By faith. And it's not just when we get born again, but it's every moment of every day. This is not a one and done. You and I have to keep the promises of God, his precious word before us all times, reading them, speaking them, listening to them. The short version, we have to do everything it takes to get the word in our hearts. And when we do, faith will come. So commit to God's word, commit to it. And I guarantee you that faith won't just come some of the time, maybe most of the time, a bit of the time. No, it'll come all the time. It will come every time that you need to believe it enough to receive it in your heart to abide. And when it comes, so will the fulfillment of God's promises in your life. You know, when David was fighting Goliath, it's funny. Here's this little ruddy kid, you know, and he's looking over the battlefield. Everyone else all the army was shaking in their boots. Here is this gigantic man, this giant Goliath. Nobody has the bravery. Nobody has the kahunas to fight this guy. And what does David say? Who's this uncircumcised Philistine that mocks my God? It's all in your perception. He wasn't shaking in his boots and peeing his pants and thinking, oh, look at the size of that guy. Even Goliath's armor weighed 130 pounds. This was a big, huge, skilled, agile soldier. And he was huge. You can think of it like if you were to walk into the ring today with one of the heavyweight boxers, somebody like a Mike Tyson, and just anticipate that right hammer that's coming down. David didn't see this big, gigantic, fierce warrior. He just said, who is this? uncircumcised Philistine that mocks my God. This boy is about to get a beating. That's what he said. He had faith. He had faith. Whether it's you getting healed, avoiding a financial disaster, or avoiding a fatal car wreck, faith has to be released. Someone's faith has to be in operation. And if it's not our faith, 
that gets us in the right place at the right time, then it's someone else's. We've got to develop our faith. We have to learn how to operate in our own faith. And I believe it's essential to understand how God designed faith to operate in our lives. We read in Romans 5, 1 through 2, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by what? By faith into his grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. There is a lot going on. But you have to also look at what is going on in your mind. What's on your mind today? I really think if we could make an inventory of what is going on, the thoughts in our mind, we would make a connection to what's going on in our life. I went to church for years and no one ever told me that thoughts had anything to do with my life. Thinking incorrect things. What are you constantly telling yourself over and over? What's going on in your head? Again, there's a connection between what is going on in your life than what's going on in your mind. And, you know, I, I said again, no one ever told me my thoughts had anything to do with my life. The correlation between thinking incorrect things. And I think it's sad that in church, people sit there Sunday after Sunday and they never really make this connection. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. There's a life that Jesus Christ died for you to have, a specific life, a specific life. And when you become a Christian, you don't keep the same messy, muddled life and throw a Christian label on it. What does it say in Matthew 15, 8? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart and they defile the man. We have to guard our heart and we have to be careful what's proceeding out of thy mouth. And that is a direct correlation to what is going on in your mind. Wrong thinking. It's your job to guard your heart. And we can say, guard your mind right along with that. You have to be careful about your thoughts because your thoughts produce attitudes. You've got to guard your heart with all diligence. That's not a one and done there. As long as you live, no matter how spiritual you think you are, every single day of your life, the devil is going to try to hammer you inject thoughts into your mind and you need to cast down those wrong imaginations. We have bad mental habits. Thinking needs to change. That stinking thinking. It seems like every day you're thinking something you shouldn't. But trust me, a little by little, day after day, you can train your mind to think differently. The devil's not going to stop attacking you. He's not going to stop pummeling you. But Jesus, what's what he always said? What was his response to almost everything Satan tempted him with? It is written. We need to do that too. When Satan's attacking you with something, look at your situation. Say, it is written. And then you tell him the antidote to your situation. And that's also where prayer comes in. I love what it says there in Psalm 143, 11 through 12. For the sake of thy name, O Lord, revive me. In thy righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in thy loving kindness, cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul, for I am thy servant. That inspired prayer there of the psalmist, it gives us three very beautiful reasons for believing that God will answer our prayer. Three reasons that are independent of a particular situation or circumstance or any emotion that we may feel. The first reason is for the sake of thy name. 
We pray to the Lord in the name of Jesus and for the sake of that name, God answers. That's the first reason. And the second reason is, in thy righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. We're not appealing to God on the basis of our righteousness, but on the basis of his righteousness received by faith through Jesus Christ. And the third reason is, in thy loving kindness, cut off my enemies. That word translated loving kindness really means God's covenant keeping faithfulness. So God will keep his covenant in his faithfulness, even at times when we feel unfaithful, unworthy, unmotivated. God's covenant keeping faithfulness never changes. So there's three reasons for the sake of his name, for the sake of his righteousness, and because he's faithful to keep his covenant. Don't let the enemy beat you down anymore. Don't let him get you on the ground of your righteousness because that will not support you. But come to God on that basis, the name, the righteousness, and the covenant-keeping faithfulness of the Lord. I hope you were blessed by today's show. And I want to remind everyone that we have a fantastic show we have on tomorrow, the one and only, the voice of evangelism, Pastor David Langford. That is going to be a fantastic show. Thank you for tuning into the broadcast today. Good night and God bless you.